This is What Next, the future fiction podcast exploring tomorrow through the stories of today. Utopia, dystopia, time travel, the apocalypse, from aliens to zombies and everything in between. Every episode is a new future. Would you rather, in an end-of-world situation, mm-hmm. have ample resources, food, water, entertainment, you've got a stack of DVDs if you want, but you're completely on your own, or you're struggling for resources, but you're in a community? I think I would choose the community because I'm not sure I could consciously have everything. But then I think that if I was in the community... There are times when I think it'd be so much easier to just be in there. Yeah. And I think, to be fair, I think that's probably, I do often think, wouldn't it be so much easier in life in general if you just didn't care? <laughs> yeah. If, like, you know, if I was a billionaire, like if I was Jeff Bezos and I didn't care mm. <laughs> about what was happening, I was just like, I'm going to make some money. That would be a wonderful way to live. Yeah. But I just don't think that I can consciously do that. So I think I'd have to live. Whether it was my choice or not, I think I'd have to live in the community. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I, I think that's a really good observation. It's probably the one that's taken us into the text quickest. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. that's precisely what this story is about. That exact yeah. tension that you've described of like having everything and feeling kind of uneasy about it draws you maybe more to a community. Whereas the narrator in the story we're going to talk about is someone who has a lot but retains that mindset of not wanting to share yeah. and wanting to retain their own... Uh, Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. Wanting to retain their own wealth and their own uh, plenty. Yeah. So the story is called The Way the End of Days Should Be. Ooh, okay. Yeah, it's by Diane Cook from her short story collection Man Versus Nature. I think you've got the book over there. What's the title of the collection? Is it Man Versus Nature or Man... What's the word in between man and nature? It's a V. I had it first down, so I had to Should have just run with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, it's, yeah, it's Man V Nature. I haven't read many of the short stories from this. I've only read the first two, and they're both really, really interesting. So I've got high hopes for the rest of the collection. <laughs> this is the second one in there. So the way that the story starts, I'll set roughly the scene for you and the, the dystopia that we're kind of thrown into, right? So there is our narrator. Uh-huh. Our narrator has a big house. The opening of the story is him looking out his window and seeing a body twisted around his Doric columns of his mansion, right? The world outside his window is flooded, but for his neighbor's house, because they're both on a hill, they've both got big mansion houses on the hill, and a cluster of four houses a little distance away. When we're kind of put into it, the narrator is explaining how he's got plenty of stuff uh he's got this big house and at the beginning when everything flooded people would knock on quite politely and ask him to share and he would tell them quite politely to go away but increasingly more and more of the world must have been flooding because Mm -hmm. people are coming to his door more and more desperate yeah right and i think this is probably a good point to read something from it because the tone of this is part of the appeal it's really interesting because the narrator is fundamentally unlikable but kind of a little bit likable because 
the way the story is written yeah. shows you that the author knows how unlikable the narrator <laughs> is and it's kind of the point. Yeah. Maybe we can capture it by reading some. So the bit that I'm going to ask you to read, he's talking again about these increasingly desperate people who've been coming to his door. And a man turns up one day who is in what looks to have previously been quite a nice suit. Go ahead and, and read that section. Okay, okay. Okay, so this is a section I'm going to start with. It's a little bit of a long bit, so if I trip over, I do apologise. This man in the nice suit asked for food and water, then tried to strangle me, choked back tears, apologised, asked to be let in, and when I refused, tried to strangle me again. When I managed to close the door on him, he sat on my veranda and cried. I've gotten used to these interruptions, of course, though the strangling is new. I don't blame them. If I'd been one of the unprepared, I'd be desperate too. They come to my door, see that I'm clean, are dazzled by the generator-fed lights. They send to have rooms full of provisions, that my maid's quarters are filled with bottles of water, cords of wood in the exercise annex and gas in the garage. They ogle my well-fed gut. I am dry. They are embarrassed, filthy, smell of fish. They get on their driftwood or whatever they use to keep their heads above water and paddle next to the door to my neighbours. If I were them, I would overtake someone standing dry in the doorway of a fire home. I wouldn't give up so easily. But these men are not for me. For starters, they're awfully weak due to not eating. But still, I don't like the change. I miss the old days when... Though they happened to be begging, they were still gentlemen who understood that hard work was their ticket to success. I'll need to carry a knife to the door next time. So I think you can see in that <laughs> section of text yeah. how like it's kind of written with a bit of humour. Yeah. But it's... how also this narrator is just awful, right? Yeah, he's just not a nice person. And like you said, it's like the author knows he's not a nice person. Mm -hmm. So he's really kind of, in some ways, I mean, not over-exaggerating it, but really kind of pushing those ideas. Like, we've all met someone where you just think you've never understood hardship, as it mm. were. Yeah. yeah, I can see exactly what you mean. Yeah, well, it's partly never understood hardship, but then also it's like a feeling like you have experienced hardship, whether, whether that's rightly or wrongly, and you were smart enough to overcome it, and everyone else yeah. just isn't smart enough, yeah. you know. It's that fundamental lack of empathy. Mm. And when you say we all know people like that, I completely agree. And it's always people who speak from a position of privilege, sometimes yeah. very limited privilege. Sometimes yeah. it's just a homeowner versus a renter yeah. who is able to say like, oh, well, if you'd saved up like I did, yeah. you know. And you didn't buy that coffee or have that Netflix right, subscription. Right. Sometimes it can be as small level as that. Sometimes it's mass scale, you know. Yeah. You can... I also think not only do we all know people like that, but it's also in all of us a little bit. Yeah. Like yeah. when we were talking earlier, you mentioned Jeff Bezos and like, oh, yeah. if I had all this money, you know, I remember I was talking with my brother just the other week and I was saying that, you know, that thing that goes around like, oh, these, you know, a billionaire could cure world hunger mm. with, you know, a billion pounds, but they mm. wake up every day and choose not to do that. You know, it's yeah. a very sort of eat the rich anti-capitalist yeah, kind of talking absolutely. point. And my brother said, yeah, but would you? Like, if you were a billionaire, would you do that? I mean, absolutely not. Yeah. I would convince myself I'm so brilliant yeah. that I figured out 
how to get a billion pounds and yeah. nobody else figured it out and I'm a genius and yeah. I deserve it. Like yeah. that's completely what you'd convince yourself Abs- of. Absolutely. So I think not only do we all know the person who is that narrator saying, mm-hmm. oh, these people outside just need to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. Yeah. These people who don't have my house that fortunately happens yeah. to be on a hill. <laughs> yeah. But I think also there's that bit of all of us in there who when this thing did happen, if we had worked away or built this house and even if we'd, you know, not earned it particularly, even if Mm. we'd just gotten this house somehow, I think there would be a tendency in all of us to just shut the door and keep our resources. Yeah, absolutely. I I said, was saying to you earlier that like we, you know, people like to turn their nose up at people who, you know, panic bought in the pandemic, but you know, realistically if it was between you having toilet roll and your neighbor having toilet roll you can't tell me that you wouldn't rush to the shop to get it right like, you would you absolutely would yeah yeah absolutely so that's loosely the setting for that and i think from that part that you've read you get the idea of this guy kind of sitting pretty and looking down on the other people mm-hmm. who come to him for help the story catalyzes a little bit when one particular person arrives at his door and as you see from that extract, he's been thinking about taking a knife to the door. He's normally been overcoming the weak and malnutritioned people and <laughs> sending them on their way. This person is incredibly weak, knocks on the door, is ailing, falls over into the flower bed, and then just kind of holds a hand out and asks weekly for whiskey. And there's something about the uniqueness of the request for whiskey rather than mm. water or food or some kind of sustenance. The narrator, who, by the way, is never named, so I'm going to keep saying the narrator. The narrator goes, you know what? I like the cut of this guy's jib. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And he lets him in the house. Okay. This creates a very interesting dynamic Uh where this kind of saviour complex develops, right? So he brings the guy in and says... Here are a list of chores that I need you to sign. Like a contract, but it's not a contract, but it's like a contract, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And so he then says things all the way through to this person where he wants recognition for having saved Mm. them. There's a a scene where he goes in and he's saying like, did you ever think you'd be sleeping in a down bed with a exercise annex full of water and food and like he wants all the credit for this meanwhile he's not sharing it with anyone else just sharing it with one person wants this one person to acknowledge what a good and kind and generous person he wants the validation really without Um, much of the hard work but without the hard work and without giving up any of his resource right so this this person is gary who he's let in okay gary is a fairly enigmatic character there are parts where Gary seems really, what's the phrase, almost feral. Like, he's really scruffy and he's kind of saying things that don't make sense and sticking his finger in the narrator's mouth for no good reason. (laughs) But then as the story develops, Gary kind of seems to suddenly at some point have it together and, Mm. and be okay. And so... There's a kind of unreliable narrator thing going on Mm -hmm. where you start to think, I'm not sure I understand what this Gary character is at all. Like it doesn't, I don't think there's a clear reading of (laughs) what Gary's situation is, but we know what he is to the narrator, which is he is the person that the narrator saved and takes a lot of pride in having saved, right? There is a point where the four houses that these two neighbors can see Uh, Mm. in the distance go underwater and there's 
a really interesting section where we see our narrator's complete lack of empathy, but we also get a bit of an introduction to his neighbor, who we realize at this point has been taking people in and has been trying to accommodate people in his big house with his many resources. So I've got a section for you to read that I think exemplifies it. Uh This is just after the four houses in the distance have gone under. Right. Take a look. Okay. I see my neighbor padding around sleeping bodies in his halfway home for the derelicts. He is dressed in a tattered robe, his beard long and unkept. I can practically smell him. I catch his eye across the mort and mime a drowned body, limbs, head and tongue hung and bobbing, and then point to where the houses had stood. He looks, rubs his eyes and drops to his knees. Some of the criminals he's invited into his home take this opportunity to rob him. The hands work over him, digging his bathrobe pockets, his hair, while he shudders with grief. Something is yanked from under his arm, and they disperse so quickly it's like they were never there. I shiver. My neighbour is taller than I am, and stronger. What would become of me if I had hundreds of people crammed into my house? I'd have no food left. I'd be bullied out of my master suite. I might even lose my life. I'm once again grateful for Gary. He wants nothing more from me except my whiskey, and has the build of a water well to wit, or a thief. Small and wiry, someone who you can put in your in headlock before you can feel his touch. As my neighbour wipes his tears, I shrug in commiseration. But he just shakes his head at me with disappointment. Like I'm the one who just robbed him. I'm the water that tows those houses down. And here I thought I was being neighbourly. It's a really great section, isn't it? It that? is. It's wonderful. Like... The complete lack of empathy mm. that this narrator has to point at these houses with just like, oh, yeah. bloody hell, have you seen that? <laughs> right. Oh, have you seen what's happened to number 10? Yeah. Oh, dear. And then completely mystified that his neighbour is upset. Yeah, yeah. And it, again, that kind of looking down on, oh, look at him all sad. Yeah, and it, the way he says criminals as well, not people in the home, criminals. Yeah. Home. That's... I found that a part of that really odd to read that idea of oh he's upset and the criminals like raid his pockets or whatever and one of the things that i think kind of clarified for me as you read it just then is as we hit upon this idea of the unreliable narrator earlier i think potentially what he could be looking at is just people gathering around and giving support yeah (laughs) yeah well yeah no yeah that's that's so true you can really see from the way that it's narrated that he has a particular view of his surroundings of the world of what's happening which definitely colors the way in which he interprets everything you know like you said the way that he just it's inexplicable about why his neighbor is disappointed in him like you know the idea that unless it was specifically his fault then why should he do anything for anybody else everyone is for themselves basically and and like you said, the idea that those people couldn't possibly be going to help him. It must be that they're looking to rob him. Yeah, right. That's right. such a good point. Yeah, and it immediately switches to like panic about his own security. Oh, imagine if mm. I'd let people in. What would happen to me? Yeah, the fact that he says food, no food, and then he says, I'd be bullied out of my master suite. Yes. <laughs> that is definitely a little bit of comedy in there. Like, <gasps> My master sweet, oh no, like yeah. the food. Okay, I can deal with the food, but not my master bed. That's why I can't yeah. give up. Yeah. And to see his neighbour upset and think, oh, what a silly man. And then to shrug it off with, 
I just thought I was being neighborly. Like, why yeah. doesn't he appreciate what a nice person I was for letting him know that those houses had gone under? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> In the absolutely. cruelest and most uh, uncaring yeah. manner, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it is, like, scary how much I can see just people in that in that short passage. You know, it, there are people like that, but also it is a bit of an exaggeration. But you can definitely see the points in which definitely... It's easier for people to view the world that way. It's easier for you to think, well, it's not my problem. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is where the story very nearly becomes a parable, all right? Mm. Like, there's such a clear contrast between our narrator, who is, well, he's let Gary in, but Mm. he's not let anyone else in. He's let Gary in so that Gary can tell him how brilliant he is and how kind he is. Not that Gary does, but that's what he wants from him. He doesn't actually want anything. He's whiskey. Right. Whereas the neighbor has been taking in other people Mm -hmm. and he's trying to do his best and he's empathizing, but he's struggling. And to see in your mind the image of these two last unflooded mansion houses, (laughs) one where one person has plenty and another where a person is just trying to help others. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's a very clear visual, isn't it? It is, it is. And yeah, like what you said there about being a parable, it is very along those lines of the kind of story you would get told when you're younger about. Yeah. About the difference between wanting to feel like you're doing good and actually doing good, yeah, right? Because yeah. our narrator wants to feel like he's doing good. Yeah. Whilst essentially doing nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas the neighbour is actually doing good and helping. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And how many times do you see people, and even where guilty, like I'm, I know I'm guilty of it, of doing something good and then wanting to tell people so that you get that validation of, yes, you're a good person. Yeah, yeah. So this is pretty much the, the story and the, the central image of the story is mm. these two these two houses left and it becomes inevitable that at some point the neighbor is going to have to ask for help mm-hmm. because his house is so full you know you can see from that extract you read the neighbor is kind of run ragged right yeah and at some point our narrator is awoken by a discussion at the door or maybe he's not awoken maybe he just overhears it but he becomes aware of a discussion at the door and finds that his neighbor has left a note for him or delivered a note for him to Gary. Actually, maybe it would be great if you could read the note. Yeah, fab, okay. Dear neighbor, might you have some food and water to spare? My men will ferry it over. We are running dangerously low. Might you have some room to spare? I'll send clean women and children. We're greatly overcrowded. The walls seem to be buckling. I am concerned, respectfully. It's kind of a funny tone, that note, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. Again, like, as soon as you've got an unreliable narrator, you start doubting stuff. But uh-huh. I, I think maybe you can read that letter almost as literal, right? Because, yeah. okay, well, what's this guy going to appreciate? He's going to appreciate, might you have some space to spare? You know, yeah. could you could you possibly lend a helping hand? Not, yeah. I know flipping well Absolutely. that you've got 10 bedrooms yeah. or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah. You could even sort of think of it as, you know, you've made something that's quite passive aggressive and then somebody in that position comes along and reads it actually like it's just being polite. Yes. I've definitely had that situation where you say something really passive aggressively. Someone goes, oh, well, that's really kind of you. And you're like, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. I, I, meant, I was implying you're a horrible person. Yeah, absolutely. 
<laughs> yeah. So this note comes through from his neighbor and I didn't have you read the, the next section, but it, his immediate reaction is absolutely not. Mm. And this is the first point at which Gary seems a little bit more together and says, you know, but we've got plenty of food. And he's saying, yeah, but we won't have, if we share it, you know, mm-hmm. it's, um, it, his first instinct is protect the resources that, mm-hmm. that he's got. We're getting into spoiler territory now. So that note from the neighbor is the exact midpoint of the story. Okay. So if you don't want to know what happens next, then here is the place to stop because mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you how the story goes on and how the story ends. It's only short and it's well worth a, a read. So do look it up if you're interested. But what happens next is our narrator is awoken in the night by a great crashing and finds that a part of his neighbor's house has fallen down. The neighbor asks again for help. I think he says, you know, the roof's collapsed, really struggling for resources, many dead. It's a bad situation that he's in. And Gary at this point offers support in the form of knowing that our narrator has some spare posts in his cellar from when he was constructing his Doric columns on the front of his mansion. (laughs) The narrator is amazed that Gary knows the house better than he does. Wow. And is amazed that Gary's offered up this help when he didn't consent to someone else having the post. He doesn't need them. They're just like offcuts from construction. But Gary overrules him and takes these these posts to the neighbor's house and kind of defects into the neighbor's house. Right. Um, And our narrator then is very lonely. (laughs) (laughs) And it, it reveals something quite interesting, which is mm. for all of this, we need to work your way up. These people just need to, you know, get a grip and, yeah. um, you know, they should have had a house and they should have been prepared and all yeah. this stuff. Yeah. And you realize that what underlies that is actually a real loneliness and a real longing for community, but also a complete reluctance to let people in or yeah. to share or to, he just wishes more people have been prepared so that yeah. he could have had a community there, but he's not yeah. about to create a community by letting people in. <laughs> So he starts to feel very sad and lonely mm. and he says some quite, well, in the text, he narrates some quite telling things. Like he says he's angry with his neighbor for letting mm. people in. Yeah. Like he's not angry with himself yeah, for being at, an yeah, unpleasant yeah. person. Well, haven't he's angry at his neighbor yeah. for letting him because it makes him look bad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, he plucks up his courage, our narrator, to wade across to his neighbor's house and beg Gary to come back. Just Gary. Oh, just Gary. <laughs> else just Gary not to offer any space or food or water or resources but just just to offer Gary back yeah and he knocks on the door and nobody answers and he tries to post a note through the top of the door but it gets pushed back out to him and it's interesting because it's a little bit surreal you doubt whether it could be happening exactly as you're being told but then also I think that kind of would be my reaction if I've been taking all these people in yeah housing all these people and trying to help all these people and my neighbor had been sitting on his supply of yeah, water and yeah. food and resources and his multiple bedrooms his master yeah, suite and his yeah. guest suites and everything absolutely. i think i might be inclined to just leave the door locked and not yeah. engage yeah absolutely yeah and so yeah he's trying to get into this neighbor's house to win gary back they won't let him gary's not interested in talking to him and he kind of sits himself down at the front door of his neighbor's house and has a moment of introspection even within that moment of introspection it's not a it's not a redemption arc mm. that we're talking about i think he says something like well of course if if they let me in then they'd expect me to house one or two of them and i can't be doing yeah. that yeah yeah so he, even though he is craving this uh, yeah 
he's staring the truth in the eye. Yeah. He's still not quite ready to see it. He's he's literally at the door yeah. <laughs> of realizing something better and important. And he's still saying, but of course, I don't really want them to let me in. Because if they let yeah. me in, I'll have to give up some of my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, yeah, goes back to his house and, and is, is lonely. Oh, wow. Um, it's a really interesting little story, mm. especially since right at the end, he comes to the realization, he like looks up in the sky and sees birds flying in the sky and thinks, wait, they must be nesting somewhere. And I've never thought that beyond where my vision goes, mm. there might be places that aren't flooded. He's never even considered it. Yeah. Thinks the whole world is just, just his perception, yeah. you know? Yeah. The story ends on him thinking, oh, maybe there is, maybe yeah. there is other dry stuff out there maybe there are communities out there you know yeah it really walks the line i think this story between being a dystopian future that mm. we could imagine and i don't know being almost a parable of yeah. inequality yeah uh, as absolutely. present i mean and the mindset of inequality really crucially yeah. it's definitely got i mean i don't know obviously the background of, of the author He's definitely got some biblical parallels there, hasn't mm. it? With the with the birds flying and Noah's Ark and the houses. I'm, I can't even remember this story. I'm sure there's a story in the Bible about. Two, I don't. My know. Bible knowledge is not as good as it could be. Uh, that's fine. I, mine is not enough to really talk about it, so I'm going to move on. But I <laughs> definitely, there's there's definitely some some hints there, isn't there? And I think what you say about kind of like not, him not thinking about the world beyond where he is is very like telling of his mindset anyway. Mm. He's not thinking about the world beyond him, which I think is like the mindset of people who find themselves in those positions where they can't understand why other people haven't got to where they've got. It is very much a, a case of, well, this is my world and this is how I've done it. How come you haven't done it? And it's because yes. they don't understand that there is a different walk of life. Why don't you just do what I did? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it, and it's funny because I really like, he is such an unlikable, like you said, it's such an unlikable narrator. And I can't tell whether I dislike that view so much because I've met that so many times with, why can't you just do it this way? And I'm like, because I just can't. My brain isn't wired that way. I will try my best and believe me, I'll hit myself more than you'll get annoyed. So I can't, but I can't. So I find that particular kind of attitude towards things so, so infuriating, but it's everywhere. It's everywhere. And I know that I will sometimes do it, you know, like even in that sense of I can empathize with that person. Why can't you just empathize with that person? Because they're not wired that way. And I think what like dystopian and future fiction often does is like a caricature, like just an over-exaggeration of the worst and best parts of us. You know, you've got the neighbor who's let everyone in to a point where it's not sta- not sustainable anymore. And the person who will not let anybody in, even though he's got enough to share. Yeah. And I do like a narrative that is told from someone who is unlikable, yeah. someone who you can kind of sit there and kind of second guess, well, actually, is, is that what happened or is it not? Is Yeah, and I think there's a clever narrative trick as well, which is because of that, very overt privilege and because of things like mentioning his Doric columns or, you know, <laughs> specific things that in Master Suite that yeah. you pointed out, because of the references to those things, the author encourages us to laugh at the narrator. Yeah. And that pulls us through the story yeah, without getting lost in the unlikability of this very yeah. privileged, well off person. Absolutely. I wonder whether that 
is helped by it being in short story form. I don't know if you could sustain mm. the interest in an unlikable person who you're laughing at the whole time or absolutely. who you want to fail yeah, throughout absolutely. a novel. Yeah. Um, but as a short story, I think it works really, really, really well. Yeah, yeah. I I remember having a discussion with a tutor of mine at college because we'd read The Ice People, mm. which is a really good story. I do recommend it, but it's told from the perspective of a male. And there's numerous points. I can't remember it properly now, but there's numerous points where it's shown he's quite a misogynistic person. But my tutor was talking about how the females in it are displayed to be like, you know, like the other side of, if you know, women are better than men, women should be running it than men, how it's comical. And I remember sort of saying to him, well, do you not think because we're reading it from a male's point of view who's clearly misogynistic, is that not how he's viewing the world? And it astounded me that somebody else hadn't thought of that. Like mm. a tutor at my, like my university had not, thought about the idea of how are we viewing this story and yeah. i think that's such a part of whenever you read something like this and again a utopia is only a utopia to that particular person you know my idea of a, of a paradise is not necessarily going to be the same as yours so in the same breath what he thinks is right or wrong is not necessarily how we think it's right or wrong mm. but does that mean that we're right you know like yeah. is, is it better to sustain two people than to die trying to save everyone? Well, I think you're exactly right. And I think kind of a central question in that for the narrator is, is this utopia or dystopia for him? Mm. Because he's got all the stuff. He was as prepared as it's possible to be. He's done everything technically right. You know, he's, he's uh-huh. got his own house. He's got his own resources. Yeah. He's set. But he doesn't have yeah. that yeah. community. He doesn't yeah. have that validation that he really needs. Yeah. Is he in heaven or in hell? Like, yeah, yeah. A... I've done my homework and you haven't. I want the satisfaction of knowing that I've done it and you haven't. You have to prepare the consequences, but also I need friends. <laughs> right, right. So it's, I mean, it's a really um, densely packed little story. Mm. Uh, it can only be 20, 30 pages. It's fantastic. I'm really excited to read other stories in yeah. that collection and just see what different takes there are. I don't know if they're all future fiction, but there seems to be an angle in each of them that is at least different or alternate or tending towards um, a society that we don't currently have. So Excellent. really, really keen to read those. The collection again yeah. is Man vs. Nature by Diane Cook. Fab. Brilliant. Thanks for listening to What Next, the future fiction podcast. Be a part of our collective future by visiting futurepod.co.uk. You'll find reading lists and release dates for all of our upcoming episodes, as well as ways to get involved. Whatever the future holds, let's go there together.